The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, my brother-in-law was like, you need to go to the hospital. I think Walker's coming. And I'm like, no, this kid's still got nine weeks to cook in there. Whew, talking about it still makes me <laughs> a little emotional. But well, before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. I hope you're well. As always, I'm delighted you're here with me for another episode and you are really going to love this one. It is officially International Women's Day today and myself and Graham thought, what better way to celebrate International Women's Day than to get a new mother on who lives with type 1 diabetes who can talk us through her experiences while being pregnant and also life as a new mother alongside type 1 diabetes. So my guest today is Jessica McCauley, and she is from California in America, and she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 22. She recently became a new mother to her son, Walker, who we point out is possibly one of the cutest babies I've ever seen. This is by far one of my favorite episodes to date. So without wasting any more of your time, here's my chat with Jess. Uh, we are completely different here and in Texas, but I get that a lot. They're like, where are you from? And I'm like, uh, California. And they're like, no, you sound like you're from Texas. And I'm like, no. Nope. <laughs> I think <laughs> I know where I'm look. from. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you would think, but no, I get it a lot. It's kind of funny. Yeah, so do you feel as if you're... Like, is your your ear for different American accents a lot more acute for those type of accents compared to foreign accents? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I used to work in a bar, so I was a bartender. So, you know, I would mm. get all kinds of people and uh, they would always, they like I said, they would always ask or assume that I was from Texas and I'm born and raised in Southern California and I feel like we sound all the same, but I've talked to, you know, you and other people, like people from Australia think we sound so funny. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think not that you guys sound funny, but they just, everyone sounds so different, you know, yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I love the American accent. I've always loved the American accent. 
I think it's like a really kind of chirpy, upbeat way, way to yes. speak. It's always yeah. nice to listen to. It's so fun. And that's how I feel about you guys. You know, I feel like it's such a cool, different way. And like when you call Walker a lad, like that is so cute. <laughs> I think it's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> and it's funny as well, because Ireland is so small in comparison to the States. But Really? Yeah, but but like the as it like geographically, but the different accents that you get, even just an hour down the road, is yeah. unbelievable. Like if you were to drive even forty minutes down the road from where I live, you will uh-huh. speak to somebody with a completely different accent. It's oh bizarre. <laughs> That's funny. You get you no, know, you get the pretty much same act, I guess, quote unquote, accent here in California. But mm. if you go to L.A., they're uh, like Los Angeles area. Um, they're a little more meaner, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They're not the. Uh, I mean, you get the nice people every once in a while, but you know, you get the uh, high end kind of people, if that makes sense. <laughs> I get you. I get you. LA <laughs> but, is a strange place too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. LA is very strange. I live about forty five minutes uh, east of LA, so I'm in like Upland area, which not a lot of people have really heard of, but it's just a small kind of chill place, but LA is, LA is wild mm. to say the least. I've been there. Fun. I think I was, was I there just the once really cool place. I love how busy it is, but it's, it is. it's, yeah, it's kind of strange and I don't know how to explain what that strange yeah. means. <laughs> yeah. You have to experience it. And, uh, what did you come down for? I was actually there for the myabetic awards. Back in okay, that's 2019. What I was ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about yeah, three years ago now. So I'd love to go back at some stage. I feel I didn't spend enough time there to get the the true experience. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like I've never been to New York, but I would imagine it's kind of like New York. Like you have to do all of the touristy things in LA, you know, like the museums and the the everything else the food trucks the everything because you have to really get the experience for it but it's it's a Mm. wild experience let me tell you (laughs) and have you been to ireland at all jess because macaulay sounds irish or scottish uh macaulay is i think scottish so that's obviously my husband's last name um his mom is full-blooded italian and his dad i want to say is scottish and i'm actually scottish um i have a lot of family um, in Scotland, you know, ancestors, my, uh, mm. aunt has actually been to Ireland, but I have not. I want to, the bucket list. it is 150%. <laughs> absolutely. Once Walker is old enough to, to have a pint of Guinness, you can bring him over. <laughs> yes. I love it. And I actually really like Guinness. So I think oh, I would you? enjoy myself there. I do. Yeah. Strange to find an American who, who likes Guinness. It's great to you hear know, though. It's an acquired taste for sure, mm. um, kind of like wine, but mm. uh, every once in a while. We serve it here cold. I've heard that you guys serve it warm. Absolutely not. That's a sin. Really? That's really? Sin. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, hilarious. <laughs> Who told you that? Uh, probably some guy at the bar that I used to work <laughs> with. But <laughs> well, maybe I'm wrong, but never in my life have I heard really? of warm Guinness. If oh, you yeah. served somebody a warm Guinness in Ireland, you'd probably get shot. Oh my god! <laughs> well, not literally. <laughs> See, no, that's probably what it would be here too, because we are so used to serving it like 
ice cold, you know, beer cold is so normal. But no, every time I talk to someone that gets a Guinness, they're like, oh no, you go to Ireland or anywhere, like it's served warm. And I'm like, what? I don't think so. I know we're just making stuff out here. You know, my head's turning here. I know. Am I thinking did I miss something along the line? Unless it was like a a, an Irish coffee, they're warm and they look like Guinness. Uh, Irish coffee—that's with whiskey, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we serve that hot here. Weird. I must look into that now. You've you've got me intrigued, Jess. Hey, come to Upland or California anytime and you can see all the quirky, (laughs) weird stuff that we have here. (laughs) I can't imagine anything worse sitting in the hot sun drinking a hot Guinness. You know, that's what I thought, but I was like, (laughs) hey, what what do I know? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The only thing I'd want is an ice cold, an ice cold beer in the sun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We love our cold beer here. Let me tell you. Anyway, Jess, look, as I was saying to you, I'm, I'm, before we make this whole podcast about beer and drinking, yeah. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to having this chat because what I want to talk about with you is something I don't know a whole lot about. So for me, I feel it's like a good opportunity to learn more, but also I know that a lot of people that will be listening will be able to benefit from your experience and insight up to this point. So yeah, Absolutely. I'd love to just get a bit of your story from the start. I know you're diagnosed at 22, which is kind of considered relatively old when it comes to to type one. So how did you adjust to that life being at 22? You know, it was, it was an adjustment, you know, 22, you're, you're just, you're able to drink, you're going out, you're pretty much having the time of your life, you know, at you're at your prime, I would say, um, And it was an adjustment, uh, mainly because no one in my family or my immediate friend group has it. Um, Now that I made an Instagram, I know a bunch of people that have it. But even in my, like I said, my family don't have it. So it was an adjustment. And I am actually terrified of needles, hate needles, which is so ironic. But um, (laughs) and I have tattoos, but it's completely different. Um, but I just, you know, it was, it was a deep depression for probably about two to three months. I was in and out of the hospital for about a month after I got diagnosed. Uh, my blood sugar was about 780 when I first found out. And then, you know, trying to live a, a normal 20 year old life with throwing diabetes on top of it was, was not easy. It was not easy. Two words jumped out at me there when you said the first couple months were like a deep depression because uh-huh. the time that we've already spent just speaking to each other and any time I go onto your Instagram, you strike me as somebody who is so upbeat and so kind of confident and proud to be diabetic. So what were those first two months like and how did you kind of get yourself out of that to a certain extent? You know, and I was going to say that I'm a pretty happy, you know, happy-go-lucky person. And I was just very like, I don't want to go out. I don't want anyone to see me have to, you know, prick my finger or give myself injections or anything like that. Um, You know, so if I were to go out, it would be like a rare occasion. And I'm always like, yep, let's go. Let's go have a good time. Um So it took me a a little while to come out of, you know, a a deep hole, but 
I think I came to the conclusion of, you know what, it's either make or break at this point, And I'm not going to let diabetes break me. Don't get me wrong. I still have days where I'm like, this is horrible. Why is this happening to me? But at the end of the day, especially now being a new mom, um, it's, it motivates me because if I'm good, my son's good or my husband's good or the house is okay. You know, so it, it, it drives me to be a better person because I found that if I wake up with a bad mindset, my blood sugar is through the roof or constantly low or just not in good numbers that I like. Um, you know, and I think a lot of things in life is about mindset and finding things that make you happy and, you know, spending time with my son makes me happy. Spending time with my husband makes me happy going out for a walk, going to the gym, you know, anything like that. Um, so I would say mindset for sure. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And I think what can sometimes be forgotten is the fact that because type 1 diabetes is so consistently a physical condition, we need to check our bloods, we need to inject insulin, we need to watch the food we're eating, all these different things. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we can put the emotion and the mental side of things on the back seat because it's sometimes not put at the forefront even though in my opinion if we're not clued into the emotional if we're not clued into the mental it's very difficult to consistently do the physical sure absolutely so was there anything for you Jess that kind of gave you that shift in mindset after those first two months that made you think this is make or break anything like crazy. I think it was just like, like I said, I'm just such an easy, happy go lucky person that I didn't like that version of myself when I was sad or upset or, you know, shutting my parents out because somehow, you know, I thought it was their fault that they gave it to me when it obviously was not. And, you know, me and my mom talk about it to this day. She's like, gosh, I remember when you were just so upset and so sad and you know, she's like, it sucked to see you like that, you know, and I just kind of pulled myself out of it and was like, you know what, this is fight or flight, you know, I'm not going to let this consume my life, even though it obviously type one diabetes definitely (laughs) consumes your life. But I wanted it to be a positive thing. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to do things in moderation. I'm going to help myself be in a better mood and be a better person and not let this take control and you know, take me down and at the end of the day, kill me. I mean, let's be honest, Mm. you know, I didn't want it to, to come to that because I had, I have a great life, you know, I've, yeah, I have to be honest. I have a great life and I've let it come to a point where I'm like, okay, this is just a part of me. This is who I am. Take it or leave it at that point. (laughs) Mm. And how did you, kind of navigate your way through the social side of things at the age of 20, 22. And it, it sounds familiar to my experience because I was only 19. So yeah. as you say, you're kind of in your prime socially in terms of in Ireland, you're able to drink at 18. I was in co- just basically starting college. So there's nights out and socializing and meeting new people and all these different kind of things. And diabetes is the last thing you want to focus mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So how did you or did you get that balance between 
enjoying your social life without focusing too much on your diabetes or without putting your diabetes to the side for too long. Yeah. And I, and I have to say, I did put my diabetes aside for probably two to three months when I was in that deep depression, you know, but then, you know, like I said, I came to was like, I'm not going to let this take over my life. But I think I just, like I said, I just, uh, let it become a natural thing. Like, okay, we're just going to check our blood sugar. We're going to eat and we're going to go do something that makes me happy. And at that point that was, you know, hanging out with friends or going to dinner with friends or hanging out with my family or, you know, I just did things that were simple at the time and still were able to keep blood sugars in check, um, but still made things for me. You know, I did things that made me happy, um, made my mindset happy, you know, my soul happy, stuff like that. So um, I think I just found stuff that took my mind off of it in a way, you know, going to the gym, going for a walk, going to hang out with my friends, going to hang out with my family, stuff like that. Just things that made me happy. (laughs) And did you feel that if you were in a more positive mindset and you felt as if you were happier because you were doing these different things, did you find your diabetes then easier to manage as a result? I did. Yeah. And it sounds kind of silly because you wouldn't think like your mind really has anything to do with diabetes, but it's amazing what diabetes like kind of takes over and how it affects you. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, it was, it was just finding things that made me feel good, you know, cause I felt like I was stuck with just, I'm, I'm just a diabetic now, you know what I mean? Um, especially at 22. And like I said, I just, I just found things that kept me upbeat. And if I woke up in a bad mood, I would say, you know what? It could be, someone's got it worse than me. Someone's always got it worse than someone else, you know? Um, so I always try to keep that mindset even till now, you know, almost six years later, I still try to keep someone's got it worse than me. I have a good life. I got food in my belly. I got a roof over my head. I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And how did you then, I suppose, treat your nights out? Because we've just been talking about drinking and beer <laughs> and alcohol. So how did your diabetes fit into that around your your social life and your drinking? Because I feel that aspect of, of life can be quite daunting and people can be very almost reluctant or even apprehensive to go out and drink because it's like, oh, I don't know what it's going to do to my diabetes. Yeah. And I definitely um, kind of made it a routine. So, you know, of course I was in my, my party stage at that point. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not going to (laughs) lie, but um, I, I did things uh, to kind of make it a routine, I guess. So I would make sure I would check my blood sugar. I would have a good meal, good, healthy meal. Um, you know, maybe throw in a, a cookie or two. Cause I would, I personally would rather be a little bit higher than low. Um, so I would probably be around 180, say, uh, and then I would go out and drink. I would have things that were obviously low in sugar. Um, like beer really doesn't do anything to me personally. So it would be, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and let me tell you, I'm a lightweight, so I am, (laughs) I have two beers and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to party. Um, but you know, I always had someone around me 
that was like, are you okay? Let's check your blood sugar. Like mm. my sister-in-law, oh my gosh, she was on it. Um, she'd be like, give me your finger. And you know, if, <laughs> when you're feeling good, you're tipsy. I just would like flop over my hand <laughs> and, and be like, okay, here you go. And she would check it for me. She'd be like, okay, you're 150. Like you're good. Let's keep going. You know, or we would stop and get something to eat, you know, and just kind of make it a routine. You know, we just, it's just something that just came natural, I guess, after, after a little while that it was just like, okay, blood sugar check. Okay. Let's eat. Okay. You know, stuff like that. So Hmm. it definitely came, you know, just second nature. I think it's invaluable to have a friend or family member or a group of friends to have that concerning side or, or that side that they're, they're obviously keeping an eye out for you because I suppose even from my experience, it kind of took time to almost habitually think of diabetes because Mm -hmm. as you say yourself, you go out, you have a few beers and you've lived your life up to this point, not being diabetic. And then suddenly on your nights out, you have to consider, right, what's my blood sugar at? Do I need to take insulin? Do I need to eat, eat food? And it's a completely different thought process that you've just adopted so suddenly. Yeah. And your your sister-in-law kind of reminded me of of some friends that I would be out with where it might not have been on the top of my mind straight away, but they'd be like, oh, and what are your blood sugars at? Do you, do you need to eat food? And yeah. that was, it's kind of like that sudden reminder. So did it take you time almost to instinctively have those thoughts throughout the night oh yeah absolutely Mm. and it and it and i had a night probably when i first got diagnosed maybe you know a couple months after where i was like i've never drank before with diabetes so let me try and figure this out and i would either skyrocket you know my blood sugar like three four hundred or i would just absolutely tank and be in like the 40s or 50s and i'm like okay what do I need to do to change this? How do I still have fun and not either tank where I'm, you know, just a blabbering mess or, you know, try and figure it out. So I think that's when I finally made a routine of it, you know, check my blood sugar, have a good hearty meal. Um, so I'm nice and full and then, you know, continue on my, my partying ways. (laughs) (laughs) Forget about diabetes for a while. Yeah, you know, and it was it was a nice little getaway, you know, for a few hours. I'm having fun, I'm drinking, and then you know, it would kind of come back and be like, oh shoot, what's I wonder what my blood sugar is right now. Oh god, let's see. And then I would be, you know, say a hundred or one fifty or one twenty, whatever, and uh, I'd be like, okay, I'm good for a little while, you know. Press the pause button. You're good. You're yes. good to go. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so when Jess did you decide to bring your diabetes online? Because as I said earlier, your page for however long now I've been following you has always been a page that anytime you see a post from you or anytime you go onto your page, it's like super happy, super confident, very proudly showing your diabetes supplies. And it's great to see. Thank but you. But when did you make that decision to bring it online? Um, so I actually thought about it um, about a year probably about six months before I actually made my Instagram. Um, but I was like, I don't have any followers. Like this is embarrassing. You know, I'm not going to be talking to my phone and taking pictures of everything if no one's going to care. Um, but my husband was actually was like, just do it. You know, you, 
you don't have any friends that have it. You're kind of alone in all of it. Maybe you'll meet a lot of people. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, so I actually did it when quarantine hit here in California, when COVID hit really bad. Um, and I was home and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not doing anything else. So let's, let's start it up. And, uh, and now look at me, I'm on a podcast with you. So I think it turned out pretty well for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're delighted to have you on. And did, did you feel as if your own diabetes benefit from the fact that you were kind of online and connected with these people and sharing your own experience? Yeah. Um, I think I have people like counting on me and holding me accountable for bad blood sugars. You know, I posted a a thing the other day. I was like 300. I just like was not coming down. I didn't have my pump on, um, all this stuff. And everyone's like, what happened? Like, what, what did you do different? Why are you doing this? What did you eat? And I'm like, Oh my God. Then I have to, you know, backtrack and remember what I did or how I did what I did different. And you know, like I said, I have people holding me accountable for good blood sugars. And now I'm very thankful for that. Mm. And I think what's so good about your page too, is you've, you've obviously shown what you can be like when your, your bloods are in range and you feel good about everything, but also you highlight when there's terrible days. One of the posts that I saw only today was you were lying in bed and you were saying diabetes has gotten the better year today and your bloods are all over the place and you feel awful. Oh yeah. Do you feel oh, as yeah. if people <laughs> respond better to those sort of posts too? Because it's like, wow, I'm not the only person living with this thing. Oh yeah. And you know, I actually got a message that day that I posted that and some lady or some girl was just like, thank you for posting this. She's like, you literally seem like you have all your stuff together. You're a mom, you're a wife, you're this, you're that. But I'm like, no, I definitely do not. You know, and that's the thing about Instagram is everyone thinks you have your life together. And let me tell you, I do not have my life together. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a mess 99% of the time, but I think people relate to that more because Mm. it's, you're more of a a real person. You know, it's not just, oh my gosh, my life is so lovely. I have this, look at all the things that I have. It's like, nope, my blood sugar is 300 right now. Um, I'm going to go have a donut and I'm still going to take an abundance of insulin to correct, you know, like it's, that's my life. I'm going to enjoy myself, but I'm still going to be real. I'm going to show the, the highs and the lows, you know? Yeah. And I think that's an important part of it for people to always remember is nobody's diabetes is perfect. Yes. Like, absolutely. You can, you can be proud of how you manage your own but you're never going to have an extended period of time where you have no highs or no lows. It's just not going to happen. And I think us understanding that fact already gives us the ability to respond better to those highs or to those lows when they happen. Yes, absolutely. Another thing that jumped jumped out at me, Jess, and (laughs) continues to jump out at me, and I know we spoke about it before I pressed record, is how you show off your diabetic supplies like your your CGM and your pump but also you show off the fact that you're carrying walker in one hand <laughs> and it's like you have your CGM on one arm walker in the other arm and anytime i see those posts i'm like this woman is no joke <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
so <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> no, big time. It's funny you say that. Like sometimes when I have all those things, I'm like, oh my gosh, my my life is an absolute mess. Like what is happening right now? <laughs> well, whatever way you take the photo, it always looks good. You, you always you. look in control. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. So speaking of Walker, and that this is obviously why I really wanted to get you on to talk about your experience and your insight in more detail because as i said something i don't know a huge (laughs) amount about but when it comes to pregnancy with type 1 diabetes it's one of those things that can make people slightly nervous or concerned because we're now obviously not just looking after our own health but Mm -hmm. we're looking after our baby's health so were you in any way nervous or concerned about pregnancy living with type 1 diabetes yes yeah it was um a huge conversation my husband and i had before um you know diabetes is such a a thing that controls me that i was worried that you know maybe i couldn't get pregnant because of it um obviously i wasn't pregnant before never have been pregnant so it was like okay what if you know diabetes gets in the way where we can't have kids and we have to go a different route Um, and that was a conversation we had. And, you know, I think I didn't want to put too much effort into, you know, overthinking, not being able to get pregnant or being able to get pregnant. Um, because I didn't want to stress myself out. I have a lot of friends that, uh, you know, unfortunately cannot get pregnant. And, uh, I was like, well, diabetes is for sure going to put me in that, you know, realm. But, um, when we did find out we were pregnant, it was like, okay, I'm going to do everything that I can to make myself healthy and make this little baby growing inside me healthy as can be. I think my biggest um, concern really was if uh, he was going to get diabetes. I think that was my biggest scare because I personally go off a lot of how I feel and how my body feels and what my body's telling me. So, you know, having to try and understand a baby or a a toddler now, um, I think was my biggest concern. So did you then have to kind of get your A1C to a certain level or were there any specific guidelines or criteria, let's call them, that you needed to have or reach before a doctor would have said, okay, let's go ahead with this thing? Or was it, let's just go? It, you know, it was a little bit of both. I think I had a little bit of um, personal goals. Uh, my A1C before I got pregnant, I believe, was like 5.8. So it was pretty good, you know. Um, but I also wanted to be anything below 7, you know, obviously pregnant or not pregnant. Um, but I for sure wanted to be like 5.8 to like 6.2. That's where I wanted to be personally. That's where I felt the healthiest. That's where I felt the happiest with my numbers and my diabetes. So, um, but I never had like a strict schedule for the, from the doctor saying, Hey, you need to be at this. You should be doing this. You need to change this. Nothing like that. Um, so I think it was more of like pressure on myself than the doctor putting pressure on me, if that makes sense. Of course. And had they made any suggestions as to what could benefit you or what would be a certain number to hit or anything like any specific preparation leading up to your pregnancy? Um, not really. Uh, you know, I, we were getting married 
as soon as we got pregnant. So, you know, I, I didn't see the doctor. So I personally didn't ask like, Hey, what do I need to do? Um, I kind of just (laughs) got pregnant and I was like, okay, well now what do we do? (laughs) You know? Um, but I personally now looking back, like I said, I had a personal goal and I tried to stick with that. Um, and I wanted to be happy with my diabetes. I think if I wasn't happy with my diabetes, I would have put uh, pregnancy on the back burner a little bit more, but I was in a really good spot. I was happy. I was healthy. I was in a good spot mentally. So I think that's kind of when we're like, okay, let's just, you know, no big deal if we do get pregnant or not. So so how long then do you feel you were kind of in the mindset of, I'm managing my blood sugar to ideally x number and if you had made any changes how long prior were those changes made i would probably say six months because like i said we were planning a wedding at the same time so you know we knew that babies were after very shortly after the wedding so i think i already had it in my mindset like okay like it's gonna be coming you know what's what's god gonna give me um So I would probably say six months to a year for sure, where I just had it in my mind. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do next? How am I going to do this? Let's start working out. Let's, uh, or working out more. I've always worked out, but worked out more frequently, eating a lot better, you know, those kinds of things just to prepare myself. If it were to come to getting pregnant, which it did, um, and it just, it just got me in the mindset, you know, so it wasn't just sprung on me and was like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. Now what do I do? So what sort of changes did you actually make in terms of if you're, if you're consistently training, I know you like working out, did -hmm. you increase the frequency or the, the type of exercise and how did you change your diet to keep yourself at the numbers that you were confident around? Um, so I definitely got on a GCM. I was not on a GCM for a very long time. Um, probably about four years, I just did finger pricks. So I definitely got on GCM. Um, and then I did a lot more heavy lifting at the gym, not so much cardio. Um, and that's just me personally wanting to be a little bit more muscular and not so, you know, lean and skinny. Um, so that was definitely a big change, the GCM and then just eating, Right. Um, so we travel a lot. We have a, like a fifth wheel, like a trailer. And so it's always like, Oh, let's just go run through here really quick. Or let's just go do that. So that was like, Nope, we're done. We're not doing that. Um, so it was, you know, chicken and veggies, chicken and rice, salmon, fish, you know, stuff like that. So that was a big change for like, and you know, I was (laughs) trying to get look good in my wedding dress. So that always, (laughs) you know, (laughs) was a, was a kick in the pants, but, um, but yeah, that was the biggest change was for sure eating and just having more self-control. You know, we have our moderation where we're like, Oh, we're going to go get a cheeseburger. We're going to go get some tacos. And I'm like, Nope, we're not doing that. We're eating healthy. We're looking good in every aspect. And, uh, if it's time to get pregnant, then we're going and we're going to get pregnant. So it was you being a lot more strict around almost every aspect of your life that would have an impact on your blood sugar to ensure that you kept yourself at that level. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's when I was the happiest with myself, you know, confidence always 
comes into play after having a baby. But, you know, I was very, like I said earlier, I was, I was very confident. I was very happy in my mind, in my soul, in my body. Um, and I just felt good. I felt like I had a good control over my diabetes. I felt happy with where I was at in life. Um, so I don't know if that was just like a big thing for me, but personally for me, it was, you know, Mm. just to, just to be happy and be in control as much as I can be (laughs) with diabetes. As much as, as much as we can be. (laughs) So what sort of changes then, Jess, did you see, if any, with your blood sugar once you fell pregnant? Um, you know, I was actually really low, um, in the very first few weeks. And I kind of knew I was like, okay, something's up. I'm, I don't know what's going on. I didn't know I was pregnant at the time, but I was low. Like I would drink a full soda, no big deal. And I would still be around like 90. And normally now I would be like skyrocketed to 400, (laughs) you know, but I was like, what the heck? Like I'm kind of eating everything in sight right now and I'm not spiking. Um, and then obviously other normal things, you know, you don't get your period, those, those kinds of things. Um, but I was like, why am I constantly low? Like what's going on? Um, so then I took a pregnancy test and sure enough. And then I actually asked my doctor like, okay, like what's going on? Why am I constantly low? I thought it was like insulin resistance. And the doctor told me that you actually develop more insulin when you are first pregnant, like in the first few weeks, probably from like week two to week, maybe 12. Um, so that's like really the first trimester. Um, they said you actually start to develop insulin, like your pancreas kind of starts to work again, which was yeah. pretty crazy to hear. <laughs> it's kind of like a, another honeymoon phase. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I was like, okay, cool. Like how long is this going to last? And they're like, oh no, it only lasts for about six to seven weeks, just because you're like, your body's on overdrive pretty much. Mm. And you're obviously making a baby, you're making a human. So your body's like, okay, like, let's go, we're, we're doing it. And then it starts to slow down and <laughs> not work again. <laughs> yeah, if only you could work like that all the time. Yeah, if that was the case, I would be pregnant all the time. But <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> so if you then Jess were kind of like consistently on the lower end, Mm-hmm. You were obviously taking a lot less insulin during that time. Oh yeah, like almost none. It was it was kind of concerning but very felt very good at the same time because I wasn't, you know, overloading on insulin kind of like a normal day like corrections and all that like I never corrected. I took nothing more than or no more than I want to say maybe 4 units when normally I would take, you know, 6 to 7 units. Mm of insulin with, with a meal or a snack or whatever. Um, so that's when it kind of was like, Hmm, like what's going on? Like something's, something's happening. I don't know what it is. And then, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, I'm like, wow, like that, that makes sense. Um, you know, and then you get into second trimester and then third trimester and third trimester is when the insulin resistance really kicks in. That was when it was really hard. Hmm. So it was almost like, your blood sugar was telling you you were pregnant before anything else was. Yes, yes, which you know <laughs> does not surprise me because diabetes is crazy, and I was like, yeah. you know what, that that makes total sense. <laughs> so, 
So did you then, and I know we're going to go through the different trimesters because I know you mm-hmm. obviously had different impacts on your bloods, but still with the first one, with the lows, did you realize that something was up because you were consistently having hypos or you were just on the lower end of in range? Uh, a little bit of both, mainly having a lot more hypos. Um, I'm pretty, I was pretty consistent, like I said before, um, getting pregnant, you know, working out, eating really well. Um, I was just in a good place mentally. So I was like pretty consistent. And then all of a sudden it was like, I could not stay above 70. Like I was constantly 70 for probably like two weeks. And even my husband was like, man, like you are just pounding through these, you know, orange juices or these apple juices. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what the heck's going on. Um, and you know, sometimes that does happen about a week before I'm about to start my menstrual cycle. So like that wasn't a huge thing, but when it went for like two to three weeks, then that's when I was like, okay, something's going on. Something's different. Mm. And just to put that into perspective, so 70 is milligrams per deciliter. And for anybody who doesn't use milligrams per deciliter, that equates to 3.8 millimoles. So obviously that's still, that's still low. Just, so I can calculate because other people use different, um, different measurements. Yes, so I, I, I didn't know that. So that's, that taught me. There you go. Look, you're learning something on this podcast too. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so did you find yourself then Jess, like incrementally reducing your insulin or did you suddenly make that change because you were low so frequently? Um, I found myself just slowly giving myself less and less insulin and kind of being like a, an experiment on myself because I was like, okay, well, I don't want to go super low. And, um, you know, like I said, I was at a, I was serving at a, as a bartender at that time. So I didn't want to go to work and, you know, drop so low that I didn't have time to catch it and end up in the doctors or the hospital. So I was like, okay, let's give myself one less unit or, maybe two less units and kind of see. And then I was doing almost no units for meals, which was just so crazy and, and scary to think because now it's like, okay, four or five units is normal for me. Um, and, you know, and not taking insulin for a meal is pretty scary. But like I said, at the time, it was just uh, more of an experiment. So I wouldn't drop below 40 or 50. <laughs> mm. So how then did you, I suppose, make the adjustment into the second trimester? Because if you're saying the first one was being consistently low, you were trying to eat more, take less insulin. How did you find yourself coming into the next one? Um, The second trimester for me personally was a little bit more consistent of how I was, you know, before being really low all the time. Um, It was... Uh, for numbers, you know, between 100 and 180. Like that was so consistent for me that um, I was like, okay, this feels normal. And that's a lot of people that I have talked to that are type one and pregnant or have been pregnant. They say second trimester is a breeze. It's easy. You're out of like the being sick and like having morning sickness and that kind of stuff. Like you're out of that stage. Um, which let me tell you, morning sickness is not the business with diabetes. It's not easy. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it was not fun. Um, but second trimester was like I said, a breeze, super easy, very consistent, still really good, uh, management on blood sugars, 
and uh, it was it was a lot easier than first trimester. So a lot less work, more consistent yes. bloods. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Just to go back there on the morning sickness, Jess, how did you manage that? Because obviously, if we are getting sick as type one diabetics, it's like it makes us a lot more at risk from potential complications purely just from getting sick frequently. So Mm -hmm. how did you manage that? Or was that more concerning for you? That was probably more concerning for me because, um, you know, it would be at the time where my husband was at work and I was by myself. Um, so that was like a little bit scary for me. And, um, I would just find, so the only thing I found personally was bagels. I could keep bagels down. Everything else I could not (laughs) keep down. Um, And it was just in the first few weeks, you know, sickness is totally normal. um, But bagels with cream cheese was the only thing I could keep down. So I would only take a few units and I would just sit and do nothing. Because I felt like if I were to go for a walk or go to the gym, I just couldn't do that (laughs) to, uh, not go into too much detail. Um, I just couldn't keep anything down. So I found something that I could, and I actually found out that my prenatals that I were take that I was taking were making me sick. They were too strong for, uh, I guess my body and like how much I weigh, you know, I don't weigh, I didn't weigh very much at the time and it was just too much vitamin too much for me. So I had to get a lower dose and that helped a lot too was to get a lower dose and like less vitamins, which sounds, sounds kind of silly, but it was, that's what was actually making me very sick. Was there a light bulb moment for you that you thought it's, it's those, it's the medication, it's the pills that's making me sick. Mm -hmm. Or how did you realize that? Yeah, no, it was a total light bulb. Um, I remember eating, I like, I had a routine. I would wake up, drink a little bit of coffee and have a bagel and take my prenatals um, when I would eat my bagel so it wouldn't upset my stomach. And then one day, and I'm like, man, why am I still getting sick? Like, what the heck? And I realized that I didn't eat a bagel at that time. I just took my prenatals, um, I think because I had to run an errand or something. So I just took them and, and went. And I was like, that's what it is. That's 100% why I do not feel good. And that's what's making me sick are these dang prenatals (laughs) so it almost kind of fixed it for you to a to a certain extent when you reduced the dose yep absolutely and i just called my doctor and just said hey i think these are making me sick and they're like well they kind of you know asked some questions which one were you taking where did you get them those kinds of things and i told them like oh yeah just go get a you know normal lower dose and that's exactly what i did Hmm. so that's something that people should look out for or keep an eye on if and when they're pregnant, just to be sure that it, it could have an impact. Yeah, I think because, you know, with the hormones and everything that's changing inside of your body on top of diabetes, it could be the littlest thing that is like messing you up. And mine just happened to be the prenatal. So, you know, it's, you kind of got to question everything because you're, you're throwing in all these new things, you know, the hormones, the the, you're literally making a human like it's crazy um so you gotta do all the factors and then kind of do process of elimination and then figure out what what it is and while you were going through this period how were your blood sugars reacting to that 
to being sick. Yeah. Um, they were low, like I said, in the first trimester, because that's, that's where, um, you know, the morning sickness really happens. And they were just, they were low. And like I said, when I, the only thing I could keep down was a bagel. And that's what kept me, you know, if I were to get sick, I wouldn't plummet to 40 or 50. I would stay pretty consistent around, you know, maybe 90 or 100. And I would still be able to <laughs> get sick, but still be okay. <laughs> okay. So stock up on bagels for the next time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was part one of my chat with Jess. As you know, if you are listening on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is going to be the next episode in our list. So enjoy that one. And thanks for listening to part one.